Hello and welcome to SparkleTech, episode number 45 in the series of musings and mutterings from my favorite city, San Francisco. Ah, downtown San Francisco on a Tuesday afternoon. A Wednesday. Okay, make it a Thursday, whatever you like. The sun is shining, the traffic crawling, and the sidewalks briskly filled with the usual downtown suspects. Young men in dark suits returning from low-carb business lunches, tennis shoe-toting businesswomen in heels heading to the gym, the occasional scraggly bike messenger or self-conscious art school student, yes, but altogether a scene of almost painful averageness. Sure, the buildings are beautiful, the bay, the air, all of that, but the people? It could be any city USA down here. You search the streets, eyes glancing off of ranks of designer sunglasses and perfectly coiffed hair, examining faces for something out of the ordinary, some small spark of left-field energy, hoping almost desperately for a flicker of life, a flash of the eccentricity that shaped our city. Whatever happened to iconic characters like Emperor Norton or Oofty Goofty? As the city matured into an inevitable banality... And then suddenly, out of the corner of your eye, you spot something. Something, yes, something colorful. It appears to be a sign of some sort. Fluorescent letters on a black background, looming over the downtown lunchtime scene like an alien invader, moving inexorably towards you. You stand transfixed in the center of the sidewalk, the crowd flowing around you like water. Then the sign draws closer and closer still. And then it is upon you. You scarcely take in the bearer, a diminutive Asian man in wraparound sunglasses, because his neatly uppercase signboard, resplendent in red and green and luminous blue, communicates pure intensity. Twelve Galaxies. Tetrocuticle Covetousness. CNN. Lexcroxanicule Coverage. Coxcroxanicle. Centrifuges Rheumatoids concubines. The message was different yesterday, featuring triogonic scandal and dectrogonic skeptical preemptive miscreants. Hey, don't be shy. Scratch your head. But don't forget to smile, because your wish has been granted. You've just encountered Frank Chu, man on a mission, and grade A, San Francisco eccentric. As Frank plods grimly by, making his incomprehensible case daily with style and implacable determination, one question forms in invisible thought balloons hovering over every head that he passes. What's up with that guy? Okay, maybe if you saw him just once, you might think, huh, what a kook, and forget about it. If you saw him twice, you might think, hey, there's that 12 Galaxies guy again. But once you've seen him almost every day for almost a decade, sometimes several times a day, almost always with a new sign and sometimes in neighborhoods on opposite sides of town, you start to wonder. He shows up at protests, rock concerts, and baseball games. He shows up on television, in newspapers, and at Macworld. He just shows up. He is absolutely everywhere. Frank has stoically waded into the consciousness of every downtown regular and even into the culture of the city at large and as such, dare I say it, has picked up the torch left by generations of eyebrow-raising eccentrics who've gone before. 
It's really all about the sign. It's a showstopper, big, bold, and in a state of constant flux, though always topped by the trademark 12 Galaxies headline. It's so professionally made that it automatically bears an air of authority. The messages change constantly, featuring a wildly inventive series of neologisms, loopy criminal accusations, and references to political figures, altered day by day with stick-on letters and tape. Apparently the first versions, back when he had just begun his crusade against intergalactic injustice in the mid-90s, were hand-lettered. At some point later on, the professionally printed signs took over, and then advertisements began to appear on the back for everything from Rasputin's records to Adidas shoes. According to a recent post on his adoring Tribe fan site, the going rate is a hundred bucks a week. He uses the proceeds, of course, to print more signs. It's a vicious cycle. But then again, it's not all about the sign. It's all about his ubiquitous presence. In an interview with The Chronicle a couple of years ago, Frank said that he protests seven days a week and holds the Guinness Book record for the longest consecutive protest, and that he's walked more than the March of Dimes and Salvation Army put together. To the question of whether he's ever called in sick, he answered, I was sick once a couple of years ago. I go skiing once a year in Lake Tahoe. Telepathic treason limits my ability to ski on the advanced slopes. I do not ski with my sign. Ah, telepathic treason. You're now doubtless wondering just what is up with that guy. Well, your best bet is to come downtown, loiter somewhere on his regular route along Montgomery and Market Streets, and, as many have done before, ask him yourself. Though I say best bet, you may have some trouble catching up without a little background. I've located a couple of interviews online, as well as a number of videos, naturally linked through the SparkleTac website. But here's, believe me, a very short, sweet, and possibly confused summary of the Chew drama so far. As the story goes, or seems to, Frank and his family, the richest family under the Clinton administration, were secretly filmed for years by the CIA, and this footage was aired as a TV show called The Richest Family. He discovered his celebrity through telepathic messages from prison guards who were really movie stars who were possibly KGB agents, or maybe from the 100th or possibly 130th Zegnatronic Galaxy. His primary protest, though, is that his family is owed huge royalties for their unpaid acting roles in the secret TV show, and he wants Clinton, and increasingly just about every president, alive or dead, impeached for their collusion in withholding these payments. Clinton is guiltied. Leaders of the 12 galaxies have long acted in collusion behind closed doors in Washington with presidents from Clinton to Bush to, yes, George Washington, guiltied one and all, to brainwash and slander the populations of these galaxies and Frank in particular, to work against his campaign through extrasensory perception and scientific telepathy inventions. In fact, nearly all the movie stars who are second salary double agents are telepathic. Many of the technologies seen in science fiction films are secret government scientific inventions and, as it turns out, Benjamin Franklin himself was resurrected and is currently being kept on ice. I dare not even mention the activities of the Soviet presidents, dead and alive, for or against this conspiracy against the populations of the 12 galaxies. But Frank is being supported by the Zegnatronic Rocket Society of the 130th Galaxy in hopes 
here's the bottom line, sort of, to unleash a tidal wave of publicity through his signs and protest campaign, which will lead to a score of impeachments and, at long last, to payment of the missing royalties to his family. Maybe a quick quote or two from Frank will help clear things up. There might have been some 12 galaxies and Soviet presidents on behalf of those other societies across 130 galaxies that were on behalf of my protests, my campaigns, with some extrasensory perceptions identifying this classified information for my campaigns. Maybe some zegnetronic interglacial substantiated propositions, and maybe some other classified top-secret information. So, maybe they were organized, you know, but Clinton and those 12 galaxies must have just kept it top-secret from myself. I've been protesting for about the past several years. Also, my voice might have been transforming with some telepathic counterparts, maybe beyond some technotronic theoretical physicists, or octrological conventional scientists, or some tentralogical counterparts, maybe even some zegnotronic humanoids, or maybe an octrological asteroids, or maybe even an omegatronic androids, maybe some kind of combinations that were, you know, like a betatronic human a bionic man, or Steve Austin, the $6 million man. Okay, enough of just reading the words of Frank. Perhaps a brief sound clip is in order. This one borrowed from an interview conducted by Acorn Head and linked to on the SparkleTech website. Galaxies from the solar system, and uh, they might have came over here identifying some treasons committed against them by Clinton's and friends ruling 12 galaxies, guilty of not paying myself as a movie star from the richest family during Clinton's administrations, so I might have a chance to have an impeachment 2003 in February behind closed doors in Washington to uh, senators and House of Representatives. By the way, no, Frank is not from another galaxy and in fact has never left the Earth. He's from Oakland. To tell you the truth, not much is known about his pre-sign-toting past. An old job resume is online revealing a love of skiing, a work history as a truck driver, and a conservative political allegiance. When I first spotted Frank patrolling our downtown streets back in 1998 or so, it was during the Clinton administration. In fact, it was right in the midst of Bill's troubles, if you will, and I remember trying to interpret Frank's signs as evidence of some kind of right-wing plot. <laughs> well, I also remember an uptick in the cultural visibility of aliens during that period. Space aliens, I mean. Remember the X-Files? How about Fox's alien autopsy, the egg-eyed, stay-awake hipster paraphernalia, and so forth? Could any of this have influenced the direction of Frank's passion slash delusion? Or is he, Mr. Frank Chu, in fact responsible for that dot-commy wave of superspace consciousness? And was he, in fact, part of Hillary's vast right-wing conspiracy? The truth is out there, but I have my doubts. What is true is that he's very media-conscious and pretty savvy, relentlessly making use of the press to further his protest agenda. He's been known to show up at meetings down at City Hall, using the period allotted for public comment as a venting platform. Many of his interviews and street conversations begin with a listing of the television and news outlets which have featured him in recent months, always incredibly specific, including names of reporters, cameramen, and on-air dates. Part of the reason for his seeming ubiquity is that he always knows just where to stand, 
positions himself to be near the camera, and makes himself an ideal candidate for interviews. This leads to some interesting encounters, especially when reporters assume that, for example, he's the perfect representative of the anti-war protest march that he's just joined. That's one of the reasons that the Bay Guardian, the progressive local news weekly, named him best protester in their Best of the Bay issue for the year 2000. The best protester in this protest-rich city. That's no small honor. In fact, he's been adopted by many in town as a kind of a mascot, perhaps in a modern version of the medieval role of the beloved village idiot. No disrespect intended, Frank, thereby giving us all a little mental space in which to let our own eccentricities flourish, raising the bar, as it were, setting up the comforting civic situation in which we are never the strangest person in town. Perhaps another reason for his popularity is the fact that he represents the little guy striking back, out there hitting the streets and protesting injustice so that we don't have to. He's certainly appreciated. One local shoe store gave him a new pair of shoes as part of a promotion. In fact, many of his friends treat him to new pairs whenever they see the old ones wearing down from all that walking. Size 7.5 to 8 U.S. if you're buying. An executive from a large local corporation was once spotted paying for one of Frank's signs with a company credit card. Chew clones can be spotted on any given Halloween in the city, and a couple of years ago, 20 Frank Chew lookalikes appeared in the Castro, complete with suits, wraparound shades, and perfectly lettered signs on parade. Frank has had songs written about him, rock and roll, reggae, speed metal, and electronica, but a hipster bar and nightclub over on Divisadero Street topped them all a few years ago. They revealed the depth of Frank's cultural cachet by bestowing themselves with the name Twelve Galaxies. Bartenders there have standing orders to give Chu free tasty Budweiser, his favorite beverage, whenever he's around. He's on record as feeling honored by the nightclub's name check and has occasionally been asked to deliver his trademark monologues from the stage including one at the Laughing Squid eight-and-a-half-year anniversary party a couple years back. Now, under Frank's influence, I will attempt a bit of ESP. You're wondering, yes, you're indeed thinking, is Frank Chu crazy? His Wikipedia entry, yes, of course he has a Wikipedia entry, covers some of the controversy that has arisen over this question. There are roughly three schools of thought on the subject. One school simply does not care what the answer is and enjoys Frank at face value. The members of the Tribe Fan Blog, which is cataloged interestingly under the category of religions and beliefs, provide an excellent example of this, noting and discussing Frank's movements, buying signs from him, making t-shirts, and generally supporting him in a way that flirts with the border between genuine appreciation and irony. The second school, and perhaps the largest, believes him to be suffering from a form of schizophrenia, manifesting several distinctive types of thought disorders, the most obvious of which are the galaxy-identifying neologisms appearing on his signs. It's certainly true that he seems driven to behave the way he does, often bearing that sign at the end of the day like a heavy cross that he cannot lay aside. But casual diagnosis of mental illness is highly problematic, bringing up inevitable controversies about relativism and normative behavior, and in fact there are yet other schools of thought that deny its existence altogether. 
There's a mile-long discussion in the Frank Chu Wikipedia talk section if you feel inclined to pursue this line of thinking, but the bottom line is that if he's sick, it makes an ironic and detached enjoyment of his world a little uncomfortable. In researching this story, I ran across a live journal thread in which one writer commented, I'm wondering what, as Frank's friend, I could actually do beyond being friendly and supportive and giving him some money every now and then. I suppose I've embraced his insanity because it's the only thing I feel like I can do. I'm honestly just not sure. The Wikipedia article also reports that he's a regular at San Francisco Bike Messenger Association parties and, although quiet at most times, acts like anyone would expect a sane person to, whatever that means. And there are numerous reports of completely sane-sounding behavior, seasoned with occasional outbursts of zegnatronic ranting. The third school holds perhaps the most sophisticated view, one which accepts Frank not only on his own terms, but puts him into the context of San Francisco's storied history of artists, oddballs, and kooks. They would resist the label of mental illness, holding that not only is his admittedly odd behavior not harmful, but within his control. I guess the word we're looking for here is eccentric, and as is known across the globe, we San Franciscans have a tradition of honoring eccentricity. Frank's a truly strange guy, with a great many very weird ideas, but his activities can be taken in a sense as a committed type of performance art, and one that just works here. The San Francisco Cacophony Society, a, in their own words, randomly gathered network of free spirits united in the pursuit of experiences beyond the pale of mainstream society falls into this school, having awarded Chu a pair of shoes, a certificate of appreciation, and a small honorarium as part of Frank Chu Day several years ago. And I guess I also somehow see the shade of Emperor Norton walking along Market Street in Frank Chu's worn-out shoes. I think the attention given to him shows that he is needed. He's in some sense providing us a service, protesting for us, creating a little room for our own eccentricities and for the appreciation of the unexpected, as well as somehow reminding us how necessary this is. He's carrying the torch for the survival of the weird in a 21st century city just by showing up. I am, as I suspect many are, reassured not only by his ubiquitous presence, but by the warmth with which he is treated and recognized by so many of our citizens. He's a reminder that San Francisco is still a town in which harmless kookiness is possible, a kind of recognition of our left coast Wild West heritage. It's a little something to think about when you see Frank on the street. Smile, be polite, have a few omegological betatronic words with him if you like, and donate a few bucks to the campaign. No matter how you look at it, it's a good cause. Thanks go out this week to Freud supplying the track 3-1-D-1, provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check them out at music.podshow.com. A galaxy of links to photos, interviews, and video on the website, and as always, I'm available at sparkletack at gmail.com or on the comments page of www.sparkletack.com for comments, questions, or show requests. Thanks for listening. Till next time.